to uh, Romans chapter 5. Okay, Romans chapter 5. We, uh, we wrapped up the book of Judges last week. Now, if you weren't with us for that series, I highly encourage you to go back and read it, listen to the sermons. It was uh, heavy to say the least, but I think extremely helpful for us as individuals and as a congregation to really see uh, the depth and depravity of sin and yet the calling of the church and the people of God in the midst of it. Um, last week was probably the heaviest of all texts. We worked on some really, really tough topics. Um, I had two people, literally two people come to me this week and say that was the best worst sermon I've ever heard, right? Um, And I said, thanks. If you missed it, please go back and read it. If you missed it, please go back and listen. This is a, I think it's a text that helps shape us and form us into the church that God wants us to be for the sake of the city of Flagstaff, okay? Today, though, we transition to a new sermon series that we've entitled Questioning Christianity, uh, and that's because we are questioning Christianity. So over the last few weeks, we had you guys fill out questions on info cards, submit those, and we said we're going to compile them all, pick the top ones that you guys wrote about, and then we're going to preach on those topics. We got about 30 different questions, I think, uh, through email and info card, and there was only two questions that had any crossover, where there was more than just one question. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're preaching, are all sins equal? Which I think works well with what we just preached in Judges. And then next week we're going to deal with science and the Bible, right? How do those two co-mingle? How do they work together? Uh, And we'll spend time doing that. Then on week three, we're going to set up a panel up here and we're going to answer, if we can, the remaining 28 questions and just fire through as much as we can with robust theological, hopefully, answers that give you guys at least a ground level uh, view of what it means to, or what the answers to these questions are. Okay, so that'll be week three. Week four is Palm Sunday, and we're going to revisit what that looks like when we get there based on something, uh, if there's anything we feel we need to talk about further. Okay, so today are all sins equal. And there's going to be a lot of scripture, so you're going to see it come up behind my head. I would encourage you to write down the references, to go through it, to make sure that you too are making yourself as biblically literate as possible. And you realize that I'm not answering this question just because I think this is the right answer. I'm trying to answer this question as we all should be based on what the Bible says is true. So are all sins equal? I think as we think through this question, we have to think about the book of Judges because, man, we saw some serious sin and depravity and brokenness over the last seven to eight weeks. And I think we can look at that text and say, but that's not me. Right? Like, so, so if we look at last week, we, we dealt with murder and we dealt with rape and we dealt with other severe issues and sin within the world. We can look at last week's text and say, that's not me, right? I I haven't murdered someone. I've yet to rape someone. I haven't done anything that is all that egregious. And so that's not me. So this does not pertain. I can step back and say, you know what? I'm not that bad. And I think that's one angle of how we approach this question. Is sin all truly equal? Because maybe you've heard this in conversation, right? Oh, we don't judge someone else because your sin's just as bad as theirs. Or, oh, you know, God, all sin is the same to God, so it doesn't really matter what you do. Just make sure you repent afterwards. Okay, we're going to address this because I think we can either minimize sin and say, that's not me. Or I think, like uh, James said this morning, we can maximize sin. And so some of you have committed egregious things that you look back on and say, the Lord will never forgive me for that. 
And I want us all to know whether or not we're the minimizers or the maximizers that Jesus Christ's blood covers it all. Okay? And that is a celebratory thing for the church this morning because there is not one in this room, whether you believe it or not, that does not stand condemned before God without Jesus. But in Christ, as James said, there is no condemnation to be had. So whether or not you think your sin is beyond the reach of God, which it's not, or you think your sin isn't that bad, and so you don't need him, I want you to know that Christ is compelling you to come, repent, and sit at his feet and love him. And that's just the primer. So um, the thesis, if you're a, uh, a notes person, is this. All sin is equal in its need for justification and eternal consequence but not an effectual present reality and earthly consequence. In other words, yes and no. Are all sins truly equal? Yes and no. And so we'll look at this from two lenses, a theological and at the end a practical. But first theological, what is sin? We have to answer that on the front. I don't want to presume everyone here knows even what sin is. Sin, the word in Greek, is this word amortano. Okay? Amortano literally means to miss the mark. This was also used, maybe you've heard this as an archery term, that if you aimed and you shot and you missed the bullseye, then you amortanoed, right? You, you missed the mark. You did not hit the bullseye. You were just off a little bit. I think for the minimizers in the room, you say, well, I got the second ring. You're like, I know I didn't hit the bullseye, but I got the second ring, so I'm doing pretty good. Like, silver's okay, for you maximizers, right, you're like, man, my arrow didn't even hit the entire target, right? Like, I'm that far off. And so clearly then I don't even belong here. Now, I think we can take this illustration and I think we can find ways to say, well, yeah, if we're minimizing, you know, it's not that bad. I was really close. God, I, I'm just barely on that line there. And so I thought up of a better illustration this morning. How many of you guys have ever, have ever had a, um, an itch on your back that you couldn't reach, right? By a show of hands. Go ahead. Let's get, yeah, right? The rest of you are liars. Okay. <laughs> or your freaky arms, okay? If you have an itch, usually somewhere in the middle region, okay, uh, and there's no back scratcher present, um, you have to say to the person next to you, hey, could you get that, Right? And they go, where is it? And you say, just to start scratching. And then they go for it, and you're like, left, left, no, a little right, up, down, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, right? <laughs> for you Contra fans, right? So you're just trying to navigate this, and, and what, it, they never get it, right? Like, it's just you, just, you never can get the exact spot, and you're just this. And the scratch, and I'm, I'm not, this is serious, the itch never gets scratched, Right? As close as you get. And you can all, I'm hoping you're getting that feeling on your back of like, you just keep missing it. And it never goes away. Sin is like this, okay? It doesn't matter how close you get to perfection. It it, it doesn't matter if you're really close to the bullseye, if you're really close to the itch. It does not matter because you are a sinner. You have missed the mark. For too long in the church, we have preached a gospel of morality. Just be a good person and kind of love Jesus along with it. If you miss the mark, you are out. In the archery world, medieval times, throughout history, 
If you were to do this and you were to miss, you were not going to be an archer. You did not qualify. You had to hit the bullseye. If you miss the bullseye, I keep saying this because we must understand the weight of your and my sin. Because if we do not understand the weight of our sin, we do not understand the weight of God's glory and grace. Because if you're not that sinful, then the gospel isn't all that good. But if you're tremendously sinful and you know it, the gospel becomes the greatest news you could ever hear. Okay. And so my hope today is I can slowly prove to you just how wretched we are. And yet at the same time, celebrate our Savior who makes us more loved, treasured, and grace-filled than we'd ever hope. Okay. That's my hope for us. So here we go. Um, the three types theologically of sin, okay? And, and this is maybe even more than you want to know, but you shouldn't ask the question, okay? Inherited sin is our first type of sin. It's the first part of sin. Inherited sin. This goes all the way back to the beginning. This is the sin that you and I have the moment we're conceived, right? Like when you are created, you are now made, you're a human being, you have sin on you, right? You have not rebelled as an embryo, I don't think yet, in a personal sin way. I don't know what you could do at that stage to rebel against the law of God. You're just still sinful then. And here's why. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world perfect, without blemish. The Jews refer to this as shalom. There was this perfect shalom in the world, the peace of God woven together perfectly. Genesis 2 is a zoom in on that reality. Genesis 3 comes around, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God says, okay, here's this one command. You have the entire world to do whatever you want with. Here's this one thing I don't want you to do. And as soon as they get a chance, Adam and Eve go and eat of the stinking fruit and blow it for everybody. And so sin enters into the world. This system, this structure, this now weight of darkness, this fracturing of the shalom, the brokenness of the world. Sin enters there. And then we find out in Romans 5.12. Why had you turn there? Just you believe me? It's there. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Okay, so through Adam's disobedience, sin now is given and is inherited by every human being thereafter. So when you are first conceived in the womb, you are a sinner. Dang. You hadn't even made a decision yet. Sinner. Because sin now rules and reigns in the hearts of men as passed down generationally through Adam. This is bad news for us. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This did not mean that David's mother was in sin when she gave birth to David. It means that he was sinful through his entire process. As I think of my son, Finley, who's only 18 months old, being in there as a sinner, just thinking sinful thoughts probably, and not even because he knew it, he just was, because he's a sinner just like the rest of us. Inherited sin. The next one is imputed 
sin, okay? Imputed sin. Romans 5.13 says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So imputed sin is kind of like now your account is filled with sin. Now there's evidence for it. So before the law comes in, we don't count sin against us in the sense of the imputed way. When the law came in, when Moses brings the law to the people, when there indeed was uh, rules and regulations for us to follow, and we rebelled. Now, sin was imputed to our account. And I will give you a metaphor of how this works out in just a moment. The last one is personal sin. This is the sin we know and love, right? Like, this is the sin that your actions and my actions engage in. This rebellion against the law and the precepts and the works of God. This is what we traditionally say. Okay, so Romans 5.14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Adam's sin was a rebellion against God. Up to Moses, there was no law for the people. But then law was given. Who was a type of the one who was to come? We are in Adam. We are like Adam. We are sinful like Adam. We rebel against him. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 1 John 5 refers to sin as wrongdoing, right? So even what we know to be true, we should not do, we do it, that sin. I would even say your conscience, my conscience, by the common grace of God, what you know to be right and wrong, when you do wrong, you're in sin. Now our consciences vary, so let's just stick with the word of God and the law of God and what he has called his people to. So there's two types of personal sins. There's the sins of commission, right? These are the obvious ones. It's when you read your Bible. There's list after list after list. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. If you're one of these, 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 you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scenes of commission, the things you commit, the things that we do, okay? Murder, yep. Lying, yep. Evil thoughts, yep. I've talked about this one here before, but this is kind of like a thing for Anthony and I that drives us crazy. But if you're one of those people, and some of you, are, you've heard this illustration, you know where I'm going. If you're one of those people that orders a water cup and fills it up with soda, you're a freaking thief, okay? Stop stealing soda from whatever place you go. I'm not kidding. I've seen some of you do it, and I've come up to you and say, knock it off, okay? It's still sin, but we live in such a world where we rationalize our disobedience. Well, I didn't murder anybody. I'm a generally a nice person. Surely I deserve a free cup of soda. And naturally, I don't think any parts of our hearts actually think through this. And I think that's the problem. I, I think we just go on in our lives and we make decision after decision after decision. And not even just think for a second is this going against what the Lord wants? Like, is, is, this, is, there, is this stealing? Yes, so don't do it. I think the problem is we just mosey on as if we can just do whatever we want. No, there, there's, there's restrictions. There's ways that this life is lived best. And that is where true freedom is found. And that maybe is a talk for another day. So sin is, is real, and we commit it, and we step into it. We talked about last week, and we welcome our door, and sometimes we pursue it. Sins of commission. The other one is sins of omission, okay? Sins of omission. In other words, you and I are called to do things, and when we do not do them, we are in sin. 
less lists of them in the Bible, but there are consistent mandates and imperatives from Scripture. Go and do this. And I tell you, when you and I don't do them, it is sin. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay. So if, if you know the good that you're called to, and then you say, no thanks, for him it is sin. And, and I think contextually we're seeing, man, there are certain things that, that maybe different people in the room are going to be called and convicted by, probably by the Holy Spirit that resides in you and myself. And we need to be obedient to that calling and to disobey would be sin. There might be some things, though, that others are not convicted by and so they need not walk in that. But there are things we know we are to do. We are to Extend forgiveness. When someone has hurt us, we extend forgiveness. This doesn't mean that all the pain and the hurt goes away. But you are to give forgiveness. We are called as the church to answer the needs of our city and our world as they cry out and needs for things like how do we take care of the 21,600 kids in our foster system? I'm not saying that each and every one of you are called to go and adopt or foster today. But I would say there's probably some maybe in here that are. And I, listen, that's for you and the Lord. I'm not going to come and knock on your door and tell you what God's speaking to you. But if he is and you walk the other direction, listen, you take that up with him because I think you might be walking in sin. There is good that the church is called to do, that when we do not do it, we also are in sin. Sins of omission. Now, here's the best way I could try and, and just show you how these three things come together. And it's ridiculous, but it helped me. And as much as I hate giving this guy more time, because he just gets everything in the news right now, Donald Trump. Donald Trump... Born rich, right? Because he came from a wealthy family. So when Donald Trump came into the world, he just was rich. Like, you're just like, okay, you're of the family now. You inherit that as just being a son of the Trumps. So he is rich in that sense. But it wasn't then until money was put into his bank account that there was this evidence that would be imputed to him. He was now a rich person individually. And then now we see him live out the actions of his life, and he has done things that require money, meaning he is rich. They all kind of come together in Donald Trump. Take that with you as you go. So answer one, yes, all sin is equal. All sin is indeed equal in its need for justification and its eternal consequence. So whether it's inherited, imputed, committed, omitted, known or unknown, two verses in Romans that help us here. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a person in this world who has not rebelled, sinned against him. 6.23 in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So everyone in here is a sinner and all of sin requires death meaning everyone in here deserves death. That is what we deserve because of our rebellion against God. 
That's what sin, sin is. We missed the mark. We didn't make the team. We didn't make the cut. You're on the outside. You and I deserve destruction. That's the reality of sin and its corruption in our hearts and in this world. Okay? So it is all the same. God looks upon whether it's, you. listen, you could be born and all you did was just fill your water cup with soda and yes, you're out. So whether you have gone on a rampage of just wrecking life after life after life after life behind you, or you've been a generally good person, all of you are in the exact same playing field before a holy and perfect God. And that means you need a Savior. Bottom line, that's, I mean, exclamation point. We're all on the same level because we all equally need a Savior who did it right. So yes, all sin is equal, but also no, they're not. An effectual present reality and earthly consequence. We'll look at it no to this answer at three levels. Relational, judicial, and environmental. Relationally. Sin is different in that it corrupts differently based on the sin in three different types of relationships. First, I think, with God. Okay? Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 says this. Excuse me. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Throughout the entire narrative of Scripture, you see, God hates this, he doesn't want you to do this, don't do this, don't do this, and yet punishment seems to be doled out differently. Right? So Ananias and Sapphira, when you go to Acts chapter 5 or 6, I think Acts 5, man, when you see what happens to them, when what they do, they go and they sell their land, They give 50% to the church, and then they lie about it, saying it was the full amount, and God kills the both of them. So I've told a lie before. Has anyone else? Let's get, okay, anyone else a lie? You're still here, right? Unless there's something I'm not figuring out. You're just dead sitting there. We're all still alive, and that's, we lied, right? We've told a lie. We've said something that was untrue. This, at the heart, is the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. That they go and, they, and they, they lie and they deceive the church. And God, in this moment, sensing such an egregiousness, kills them right where they stand. So God does seem, and this is one story of many story after story after story, of God seemingly interacting differently depending upon the sin. As God looks, as we look to the Old Testament, God looking over the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pleading on behalf of the city, what if there's 50? What if there's 50 righteous people? Then will you say the city, sure. Can't find 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. God is a relational God. He is not a rigid God. He works within who he is and his character. So I think certainly there is certain sin in our lives that causes a greater wedge between him and us. But I will say this, he is never the one who walks away. So, so some of us, sometimes we feel like this distance from God. And I want you to, it was never him turning his back on you and going here while you stood there waiting for his presence. It was never that's the story. 
God is always there. He's always present. It is us turning away and saying, no thanks. I got this. Which is the functional reality of every time you and I sin, we are looking to Jesus and saying, no thanks, I got this. I know better than you do. You're telling me that your grace is sufficient? I don't think so. I need this to fulfill me. You're going to tell me that your love, right, is better? Mm, I'm going to go pursue this. Jesus, you're a, you're a liar, or you know what, you're telling the truth, I just don't care. That's what sin is. And so a wedge is driven between us and him. The second relationship, I think, is between uh, others with people. So I think there are certain sins that cause greater wedge between people. The obvious, right? So you have sins of, you know, uh, anger or uh, betrayal or just insert whatever you've done to your friend that you shouldn't have, right? Verity, I, I, you know, babe, I didn't clear this one with you, but I'm going to say it. Um, Verity growing up, she used to go and steal her sister's chocolates from the advent calendar. Yeah, come on now. And so her poor sister would show up and go to open that little door all hopeful for Jesus to give her a piece of chocolate. <laughs> There's no chocolate. Okay. Now, my wife claims it wasn't her and that it was her mom, which actually, maybe it's your mom. But <laughs> that, that's, that sin, right, that hurts and causes division between her and her sister, Right? So, so, right, so the things you do, right? Our sin drives a wedge between each other. What we do to each other can create space and betrayal and brokenness within relationship. And there are certain sins, certainly, that do that more than others. So I, Verity steals chocolates versus Verity breaks her sister's leg on purpose, right? That hasn't happened, I don't think. There will be more healing, more forgiveness necessary in option B than option A. It's just obvious, experiential. So again, on earth, in this reality today, yes, certainly, some sins are worse than others. In the amount that they fracture the relationships with God, with each other, and lastly, with ourself. So sin begets sin. Sin begets sin, and I've... How many times have you and I, man, you've you've walked a path and it's kind of one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision and you find yourself in this place and you do not recognize yourself anymore. You're you're just kind of like, man, wait, what happened? Uh, I used used to be this. This is, I knew myself and I had this identity and it was great. I knew the Lord and everything was great. And then it was just one sin Beget sin, beget sin, and then you're found in this place where you've lost yourself. And certainly you've lost people. Certainly you've lost God. And you begin to turn and say, how in the world did this happen? And certainly certain sins cause a greater, and I'd say more expedited reality of us losing who we are. Missing our identity. Missing who we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit 
The Bible says that it is like a flame, a fire that burns in our hearts and souls, convicting us of sin. The Bible says we can quench that fire. The Bible says that over time, you can say no to the Holy Spirit over and over and over again where he will stop speaking. And I find, especially in many issues that plague Christians today, that this is where we're at. One of the biggest, I think, being pornography. And I'll talk to so many young men and young women who just step into this thing and are so blinded by its brokenness, by its destruction, by what it's doing to their hearts, that they have become callous to any conviction the Holy Spirit might give. And so they pour over it for hours and hours. And you sit down and you say, what are you doing? This is destroying you. And they cannot see it. There are sins across the entire spectrum that different people in this room, myself included, that we are trapped in. There's good news coming, but there's realities. And I, I don't know all your stories. Some of you got to deal with some of your pride and unforgiveness. Some of you need to deal with this sexual lust and pornography issue. Some of you need to deal with your anger problems. Some of you need to deal with this constant sense of like just kind of cheating and, and, and manipulating and working your way through life. Some of you need to repent and treat your husbands better. Some of you need to repent and treat your wives better. Some of you need to repent and treat your children better. Some of you children need to repent and treat your parents better. But we get so tunnel visioned into thinking that sin is okay. It's not that big a deal when it is destroying you, it is destroying your relationships, and it's destroying the way you see and know God. And there are sins, it seems, at least experientially, and as we look through the Bible, that seem to draw people farther from God, from fellowship, and from even ourselves. So no, not all sins are the same in that sense. Okay. The second type of no, or the second part of no, I would say, is judicial. Okay? Judicial, so an earthly consequence. In other words, some sins in this world will put you in jail. Okay? Some sins will not. You speeding, right? You're going to get a ticket. Okay? If you murder someone, you will probably be life in prison or an extensive stay or even death penalty if you live somewhere that does that. Okay? So there are different penalties in this world depending on what sin you commit. There's some sins where judicially there's no crime or there's no penalty whatsoever. You lie to your friend, you're probably not going to go to jail for that. Okay? But certainly, again, certain sins have different weight in a judicial level. Okay? Lastly, environmental. It seems to be that some, some, sin, okay, some sin corrupts the world more than others. Now, sin as a whole is the system of sin, the thing of sin is, is destroying the world, unweaving the fabric of God, but it seems that there is certain sin that contributes to a greater corruption of what this world is and what it's intended to be. The outworkings of that are racism, 
sexism, Islamophobia, etc. Insert your thing. A complete missing of the image of God upon man. And so when we do certain things, when we adopt certain worldviews, when we sin in certain ways, when we treat those with whom God loves in certain ways that are devaluing, unloving, and not in the image of God, we contribute to systems of a corrupt world that just continue to build on themselves. So now when we look out into the world, the world is not just burdened by an entire weight of sin, but systemically we see sin ruling in all sorts of areas. And so again, I think, yes, some sins are going to be worse than others in this world in the way they ruin God's creation, in the way they ruin your relationships, in the way they ruin where you could end up in prison or some other judicial way. Now, that's the theological. Here's the practical part of this whole thing. I think as we answer this or we ask this question, we say, man, are all sins truly equal? We're really just trying to get down to the base level of, am I all that bad? When I look back at, at judges and, I, and, I, and they look around the room and I'm like, I'm better than most of these people and I don't do that and I don't do this and my roommate does this, and my, my husband's he's got this problem, and yada, 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 and just goes on down the line. And we begin to wonder, I think, do we not ask this question, are all sins equal because we're just trying to feel good about the ones we do? God, God if, it's, if it's a level playing field, like it's, it's not that big a deal. I think, I think the majority of the people in the room live in a world like I do, where we minimize the sin of our life. And we think it's not that big a deal because it's not as bad as some other sin. Because we are caught up in only half of the answer. We're caught up in the answer of, yeah, there's different consequences and sin's different in this world. But I tell you what, before God, it is all bad. It all grieves his heart. And it all gives you a destination that you don't want to go to. Okay, sin is serious to God. And it needs to then be serious to his people. As we continue to, to move, I think, within the church, a bit more left, more progressive, we cannot budge on sin. Okay? Like we, we just can't. As, as much, listen, and I, I am like, believe, if we've talked, like I'm kind of the king of, of wanting to include and, and, and engage and negotiate and talk and dialogue. But the line is drawn at sin. We cannot ever, the church cannot ever advocate nor support sin. Because we have a robust, true theology of a God who tells us how much he absolutely hates it and the effects that it has on us individually, us corporately, and on his whole creation. And so I would love if our church became kind of this, man, this beautiful middle. We don't maximize sin where it's all of a sudden, listen, you're outside the hand of God now because that doesn't exist. We don't minimize sin and think it's not that big a deal. We find this beautiful middle where I think Christ landed too, where he, man, just kind of walked and navigated and loved. And here's the best understanding I can say. The only ethic, or let me say, the predominant ethic of the Bible is always love. 
But this love is not an emotion. Love, as the Bible shows it, is a mixture, is a combination of grace and truth, and they come equally together every time. And when you approach sin and you approach the sinner with grace and truth, there is good news there because that's how Christ came. Let me finish this part in Romans here in verse 18 where he says this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, great also might re- grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in all the ways that Adam brought sin to this world, into our hearts, into our lives, into our creation, Christ has come in and defeated every speck of sin in this world as we approach him and make him king of our lives and of this world. As all sin came in through one Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, cleanses the sin from this world. So go to him. The answer for this as we go today is not stop sinning. Okay, that sounds good. And if you can do some of that, I guess that's great. But it's love Jesus. Thank Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Live like Jesus. Go to Jesus. Read about Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Share Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because it is only through him that any of us have a fighting chance. It's not about you minimizing, maximizing. All that stuff is helpful, but only in response to the fact that Christ has accomplished what we could not on the cross. So we can hear a conversation about our sin. You can be confronted in your sin. I can come and knock on your door and say, I know you did this and you need to repent. And you can feel holy and good about that reality because of what Jesus accomplished. Regardless of how much you've sinned in this room, if you think you're too far, you're not. His his blood, his cross covers that. If you think it's not that big a deal, his blood covers that. Jesus Christ is our Savior. The playing field is leveled in that we all need him. And so go to him. And then go and preach the gospel to the world. Go and tell the rest of the world that this is the reality. Because again, as we keep harping on it, the world needs Jesus in big ways right now. Big ways the world needs Jesus. I land with this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, and it's one of my favorite quotes in all of history, I think. He says, The gospel says you and I are more sinful and flawed than we'd ever dare believe, but more accepted and loved than we'd ever dare hope. That's the gospel. So are all sins equal? Yes and no. But Jesus came to die for every last one and to give us greater hope and joy and perseverance than we would ever possibly hope. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. 
God, because you didn't give us what we deserve, God, for your mercy that comes and says instead of destroying us, instead of casting us out forever, you were merciful to us, that you relented according to the abundance of your steadfast love and faithfulness. So, Lord, I, I just pray, I think the number one thing, God, that I want to pray for us right now is that we would be a thankful people. God, I pray for, for those in here who are Christians. God, they would well up in gratefulness for what you've done. The gospel is so amazing. You are so amazing. What you accomplished on our behalf is so truly amazing. Amazing grace, God, because we are that messed up. Because sin is that bad, the gospel is that great. And so, Lord, would you move us as a people into gratefulness and thanksgiving in ways we've never experienced before. A love for you, a love for the gospel that does not allow us to stay complacent, moves us in the freedom that we have to repent of sin, to move forward and preach the gospel to the world. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who don't consider themselves your children. They don't consider themselves Christians. God, I pray that they would just catch a greater glimpse of your grace in their lives as well. God, that you have bestowed life, health, and an opportunity to know you. So God, would you extend your hand in a powerful way right now to draw those in who are far. Because there is no sin that you cannot cleanse. There is no one too far from the hand and the ear of God. Lord, let us continue to work out our own salvation, fear and trembling before a God who has accomplished great things. You are so good, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.